Hey, thanks, Shiona. It is great to see you guys. You know, as we are in this season as a church of really focusing on prayer and asking ourselves, how can we as a congregation be a people who are dependent on the Lord, where we pray like our lives depend on it? I was reminded this morning that, that that's historically who we've been. And so you may not know this, you may know this, that underneath this carpet and really throughout the building, when we moved into this space, we wrote names of people that we were praying for underneath the space where you're sitting. And some of you guys wrote names down. You know, some of you guys have your names written down and now you're here. And so as a people, we have been a people that have consistently wanted to model this picture of praying like our lives depend on it. And it's because we truly believe that when we pray, God considers what we say. He cares about what we need and he wants to be a God that provides for us. And so last week, we started this series on the Lord's Prayer where we've done into how did Jesus teach us to pray? It's not that the Lord's Prayer is like a magical incantation where if you say this three times, then God has to do what you want him to, right? That's not what we believe. However, we believe that because Jesus is the Son of God, because he is our Lord and Savior, that when he teaches us to pray, it would be wise of us to pay attention to what he says. And so last week we looked at how really prayer frames our desires for the goodness of God. Today, we're going to look at how prayer invites us into the displays of the goodness of God. We're going to talk about what we ask God for. And this is kind of a tricky topic, right? Because we kind of get nervous about this. Like, what am I allowed to ask God for? Um, what does he want me to ask him for? Is it okay to ask him for stuff that I want? Does, does he want to give me stuff? And, you know, we kind of go all over the spectrum from this really extreme idea that God's ultimate desire for you is your material prosperity, right? Like, if you pray, God will make you rich. Maybe you've heard that. That's not true. But that's sort of a popular stream of thought in, in the religious life of our country, all the way over to this other extreme of this almost asceticism of God only wants you to suffer, he doesn't want anything good for you in this life. He doesn't really care about your physical needs. None of that matters. And so in between these two extremes, we find Jesus calling us into the truth of who God is, is a father who wants to provide for his children. And so here's the concept that we're going to look at today. God wants to provide what we need. God wants to provide us with what we need. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to just look at Luke eleven three. 3. Then we're going to jump over into Matthew where Jesus talks a little bit more about this concept, right? So eleven three, it's really simple. He says, give us each day or this day, our daily bread. He says, give us our daily bread. And so this is sort of an odd phrase for us because if you want bread, you just go to the store and buy it, right? Like it's not really that complicated. It's a weird thing to ask God for, you know? Um, why is he doing this? Well, obviously at the time, the grocery situation was a bit different, right? And so it's not just that he's literally praying that God would give them food, although there is an aspect of this that is talking about physical need. He's ultimately asking that God would provide us with what we need to live. Bread was synonymous with life right? Like it was one of the sustaining elements of their diets. And so there is a symbology around bread that went beyond just the physical reality of it. For sure, people needed food to eat, but this goes deeper than just God giving us food to eat. It goes into this idea that we should ask God for what we need to survive. Jesus actually calls himself the bread of life, right? 
It's because he's wanting people to understand and get this picture that ultimately we should ask God for what we need because God is a God who provides us with what we need. And when we go to the Lord in prayer, it's not only okay to ask God for what we need, Jesus commands us to ask God for what we need. He invites us into experiencing the displays of the goodness of God because we have a God who provides. And just a side note that is really interesting, I think we wanna take note of, he doesn't just say give us my daily bread, right? He says, give us our daily bread. There's this communal aspect to this prayer, whereas we go and ask God for what we need, we don't just ask God for what we need as individuals. We ask God for what we need as a community. So when we go to the Father in prayer, after we frame this desire for God's goodness, we're instantly invited into this space where God shows us what his goodness looks like. And so today, it's really simple. We're gonna see that God will provide what we need. That's it. God provides us with what we need. So flip over into Matthew because Jesus expounds on this idea in Matthew chapter six a little bit. And so we're gonna see as he's talking to people about God's provision, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So you instantly see Jesus paint this picture of how God wired creation, right? Because sometimes we wonder, does God really want to give me stuff? Is he mad at me? Is he a God that wants to bless me? Is, he, is, he, is that okay to believe? And Jesus is pointing them to the very nature of God's creation. He says, look, God provides for the birds of the air. God's wired provision into creation. Think about the way that the world is designed. Creation is built around this rhythm of God providing what you need, just the way the earth is set up. So every so um, before we moved here in the summer, we lived in a rural section of southern Indiana. And um, I would tell you the name you don't know. It's just it's where Larry Bird went to college. That's going to be the most helpful. Um, or maybe if you're not sports, it's where we kept the Boston Bomber for a bit in the federal penitentiary. But outside of that, here's what you need to know about Terre Haute, Indiana. It is um, a thriving agricultural area. And so for me, growing up in Dallas, it was different when I would drive down the road and the only traffic I would see was like a combine. Um, it wasn't odd because, well, during harvest season, the farmers had to get what they had planted and take it to wherever they take it to do the next thing they do. That's the extent to which I understand the process, okay? But here's what I do understand. As, as you were driving down the roads, depending on what season it was, you would see the crops at different heights. During planting season, there was nothing there. In October, right about now, the corn was pretty tall and it was ready to be harvested. And every year, this cycle happened at the same time of the year. Why is that? Well, a farmer would tell you is because the way the weather patterns and the earth and planting seasons work, that is the most optimal way to get the stuff to grow out of the ground that we're going to eat. Why is that? Is that an accident? Did we design it to work that way? No, right? Like we have been farming in the same basic way for, I don't know, let's say 5,000 years, give or take now. Why? Because there's a rhythm that exists within the earth where we are naturally provided food to eat. 
We naturally are provided animals that live, that taste good, right? Like even not just beyond humanity, the earth is self-sustaining in a way that is fascinating. If you really study ecosystems and the balance that happens where this bug has to do this and eat this amoeba so this animal can eat it and this can eat it and then this flower blooms for three hours at midnight, right? Like it's unbelievable how interconnected creation is. And so beyond just humanity, the world has been designed to provide everything that lives exactly what they need to continue in ways that defy odds or chance. What does that say about the character of God that he wired provision into the very existence of the universe that we live in? And so as Jesus is teaching about prayer and what we're asking God for, he says, listen, don't be anxious about your life. Look, even the birds are fed. Even the birds are fed. Another translation that I like, so the word anxious is a bit loaded for us, and I think we do need to make a quick distinction. This is not talking about anxiety in the context of mental health. And the reason that we need to make that clear is because you cannot apply this passage into a mental health situation without doing damage. When you see Jesus encounter people that are suffering and have afflictions, he is gentle and gracious in healing. And so for us to approach the word anxiety here, we really need to remove that from a clinical context. And really the, the passage that I like starts with, don't worry about your life. That's how Jesus starts it with. And that's a more accurate translation of anxiety and what that means through the lens of just a lot of what we hear right now. And when I saw it, don't worry about your life, I was like, thank you. Because I worry about my life a lot. Just by nature, I'm a worrier. Um, my oldest kind of has that a little bit. I wish my youngest had more of it. But um, just by nature, I tend to worry about everything. Is it gonna be okay? Is this gonna work out? It's like, I literally can go from, we don't have chips in the fridge to what if we're homeless in six months and 35 seconds. Like it's just how my brain operates. And I don't think I'm alone. And I think that's why Jesus is telling these people, listen, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat. Don't worry about what you'll drink. God has built creation to provide what you need because he is a God who gives us what we need. Just our existence is a reflection of the reality that God loves us and provides for us, right? So it's safe to go to God with our needs. It's safe to be vulnerable with him and open with him and believe that not only will he meet your needs, but he wants to. He's not begrudging, right? It's not like when you go to Target and you're trying to get a refund and they're like, I don't know, I guess I have to. It's not how he's viewing that situation, right? God's a God that's eager to meet our needs. He's built everything that you see to sustain the basic needs of all of the creatures that live here. And so if God's created with provision in mind, what do we continue to see as we frame how we encounter what we need? Let's, let's keep going here. Verse 27, he says, And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single hour to the span of his life? I don't know, but I'm going to find out because I'm trying really hard. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, 
They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And this is a really beautiful picture of God's eye for detail because again, we can see daily bread and we get this picture of a God who just begrudgingly is like, all right, I don't want you to die. Here you go, right? Like, have you ever had the person that you ask to take care of like a plant or an animal while you're on vacation and you wonder if it's gonna be alive when you get back because they're just kind of like not reliable? And like, okay, I'm just gonna throw some stuff and hope it works out. That's not what God's doing here. And this picture is actually really beautiful as he's talking about the lilies of the field because he says, look, why are you worried about clothing? He says, think about the lilies. They're not just clothed, but they're clothed beautifully. He says, not even Solomon was arrayed or dressed as well as God's plants. So he goes beyond the basic needs here. He says, God actually thinks about beauty God actually thinks about what something feels like and looks like. Here's another way to say this. God doesn't just meet our needs. God cares about our needs. Our needs matter to God. When we approach God and ask him, we're not asking a God who's careless. We're not asking a God who's frustrated or annoyed. We're asking a God who actually cares about our needs. Did God have to make the flowers look pretty? No, he went above and beyond the basic needs of creation and showed his creativity and his thought and his beauty. There's something about us that is naturally attracted to beauty. There's a reason that we can recognize good design and bad design. There's a reason that we have art. There's a reason that we have music. There's a reason that we are attracted to good creativity. It's because God's wired it into the universe. We have a God who is creative. We have a God who loves seeing things that are good and beyond what is basic and necessary because he's a God who provides. So when Jesus is asking us to, to, to ask God for our daily bread, he's doing more than saying, hey, God's gonna give you just the bare minimum. Remember, bread is not just food. It's a picture of the way that God meets all of our needs. God goes above and beyond how he meets our needs spiritually, how he meets our needs physically, because he's a God who cares. It matters to him that you're stressed out about the bank account. It matters to him that you're stressed out about college or braces or healthcare. Like it matters to God. He cares about what we need because in his very creation, God took the time and put the attention to detail to make sure that he had a wor world that reflected his beauty and his love. So when we go to God, he's intimately concerned about what's going on with you. It matters to him that we struggle. It matters to him that we hurt, and it matters to him that we're stressed out. That's why he says, look, you're not gonna add time to your life by worrying because God already has it taken care of. He already has it taken care of. And so that leads us to this question, well, then what do we do in that space of frustration between us having a need and God meeting it? And what about when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we think he should or, or as quickly as we think he should? Or what is it? Is it okay? I know, I, know that, I know that God wants to meet our needs. What about our wants? Can we still pray about our wants? Number one, I would say yes. There's no prohibition in here about asking God for anything, right? Um, so what do we do with that tension? Let's keep reading here. 
In verse 30, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So this how much more is actually a Jewish rhetorical advice, uh, device that rabbis would use pretty consistently, this idea of if this is true, then how much more is this true? And so the way Jesus is framing this is if something as insignificant as a flower that's alive for like a second matters to God, how much more do his children matter to him? And he's just reminding them, listen, you have to be a person of faith because if God takes care of his creation, isn't he going to take care of you? Doesn't it matter to him? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so this is fascinating because what's happened right before this section of teaching is he's talking about in verses 19 through 24, what you're doing with money. And he actually says, hey, don't, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. He says, listen, you can't serve two masters. You, you can't love God and money. You've got to choose one. And so in some ways, it's interesting that he talks about loving money instead of loving God and then goes into anxiety over what we have. Like there's a connection between these two concepts. And in verse 32, he talks about the Gentiles. Um, we could say non-believers, right? Or pagans maybe. Um, he says they seek after these things. What the, the action behind that word seek is they devote their lives and orient their lives around the pursuit of these things. So he's saying, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, drink, or wear don't be like the pagans who don't know God. They devote their lives to chasing after those things for two reasons, really. They don't believe that anybody else is gonna provide them and they think there's salvation to be found in those spaces. That's it. If you don't think God's gonna give you what you need, then you're gonna go get it yourself, right? And every time, every time that I find myself driven by worry or anxiety and feel like God's not gonna come through, I have to figure out how to do it myself. And when I wanna do things myself, I'm usually not asking God how to do it, what heart I should do it with, when I should do it. I tend to get impatient and headstrong. I'm like, I have to make this happen. So if I need to blow up a building or kick in a door metaphorically, then I'm gonna do that because I'm gonna get this done. If not, it's not gonna happen. It's on me. It's on me. And when it's on us, our desires tend to melt away from the things of God and they, they tend to glom on to the things of the world. And so he's saying that non-believers, they orient their lives after these things because they think salvation is found there and they don't believe anybody else is gonna do it for them. And man, if that's not the American dream, right? Like that's, that is dyed in the wool American capitalism. Nobody's gonna do it for you. You gotta work for it. And if you can get enough, if your house is big enough and your car is big enough and you're a member of the right country club and your kids go to the right schools, then you'll find salvation. Literally, the kingdom of the way our country views consumption and status, our cursus honorum, if you will, is built on the opposite of the kingdom of God. Do it yourself and get a lot of stuff. I, I remember, so um, <laughs> when I was in middle school, this was pre-internet teenagers, and so we got these things called catalogs in the mail, and what catalogs would have would be just all of this. It's like, it was like a website you could hold. There were pictures. <laughs> there's, there's these numbers by the products, and there's an order form that you tear off and write, and six to eight weeks later, your stuff would come. 
That's why Amazon Prime's done well, is those of us with catalogs, just we couldn't stand it. So the next day thing really resonated with us. So I got this catalog specifically called East Bay. And if you're in my age bracket, like you're nodding, because you remember East Bay. Um, and East Bay, they still have a website. Um, it was all the sports stuff. And specifically for me in East Bay were shoes. And so growing up, um, growing up, I, I did not have a dad around. It was me and my mom. Um, and then my, my granddad and my uncle were kind of the male figures in my life, right? And so my mom is um, frugal. She takes, she, she, she listens online and she would take, um, she would have a difference of opinion on this than me, but she wouldn't ever buy me the shoes I wanted, okay? Um, because the shoes I wanted, she thought were not reasonably priced. You can't put a price on Jordans, okay? And so I remember kind of having people give me a hard time sometimes because of my shoes, um, my kids are the beneficiaries of this now, by the way. And so I would get these East Bay catalogs and I would just sit and look at all the shoes, like the Air Maxes, the 97s with the whole wraparound air bubble, um, the Jordan 12s, the 13s. It's like $150 is not much for a shoe. And this was like in 2001 money. And it was like, man, if I could just get these shoes, then my life would be fixed. And my whole life was oriented around how can I find salvation in these material goods that are going to reflect the values that culture has shown me are going to fulfill me. And if I'm honest, I, I got an email from Adidas that they have an Arsenal-branded shoe that I was looking at right before the sermon. I was like, man, if I could get these this week. <laughs> I've studied this all week and I'm still going back to this like scar from being 13 years old, right? There's something deep seated in us that really believes if we can just get enough stuff, right? If we can just get enough stuff, then, then we'll be okay. And what if God doesn't provide us? And maybe when you think about God as father, it reinforces that he's not gonna provide because you didn't have a dad that provided the way he should or that was present. So the idea of a God as a father who wants to provide for you is completely foreign to your experience. And it's in these spaces that we have to develop a dependence on God and unlearn some of what's been hardwired in us. Listen, he says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. Here's a better way of saying this. If you will seek God, everything else will take care of itself. If you will seek God and his will for your life and what it looks like for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then the stuff that the world tells you to worry about, God will take care of. He will take care of what you need. God takes care of our needs so we can focus on the most important thing. And that's his kingdom. God doesn't want you bogged down and stressed out and worried about all the ways the world tells you that you're going to be okay. He wants you to be able to focus on him. And when we're worried about the stuff that we need, sometimes it's hard for us to focus on the Lord, right? That's even been true in my life. Just a lot of transition for our family moving. And listen, there's a lot of opportunity I have to worry. Not that I need it, it happens anyways, but there's a lot of opportunity that I have to worry. So like even um, we moved and we had a house that we loved as a family in Indiana. It was built in the 20s and there's not a lot of old stuff in Atlanta. I know you're not ready to talk about it yet. Still kind of a sore subject, but there's just not a lot of old stuff. So we're renting a house. We love our landlord. He's great. Um, but even now I'm like, man, what's gonna happen, God? Are we gonna be able to afford a house? Is Jerome gonna take his foot off the e-break and bring interest rates down. What's going to happen? What's the real estate market going to do? Where are we going to live? What happens if we don't? And, then, and so like just I devolve into this like ball of neuroses and my wife's like, what's wrong with you? In those moments, am I seeking the kingdom of God or am I seeking my comfort? 
It's my comfort, right? When we are consumed by our worries, when we are consumed by what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, when we're consumed by our needs, our eyes don't tend to naturally go to the Lord and the things of his kingdom because we believe it's secondary. It's, hey, I'll really pursue God when I get this other stuff worked out. I can pursue God when I get a romantic relationship dialed in the way I want. I can pursue God when I get my career figured out. I can pursue God when I get my finances straight. God's saying, listen, if you will trust me, I am safe to seek first because when you do that, everything else will fall into place. Does that mean our life is perfect? No. Does that mean God makes you rich? No. No. God is not an ETF. He makes no promises to give you an ROI in dollars and cents. But he does promise that when we seek him in his kingdom, everything else will take care of itself. Because when we properly understand who God is and what it means to follow him, we begin to trust him with our needs. We even begin to let go of some of what we maybe thought was a need that's maybe more of a want. Because we understand that our ultimate need can't be provided outside the person and work of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and we ask God for our daily bread, ultimately we're asking for something only Jesus can give. And that's peace and forgiveness and healing and restoration and eternal life. And that, that doesn't happen outside of Jesus. That's why we celebrate communion every week. These are tangible reminders of the bread that we have from our Heavenly Father, right? That's why we sing. That's why this is more than just hopefully a box that you check during the week is we actually believe that what we ultimately need can only be found in Jesus. So as we ask God to meet our needs, he's going to meet our needs so that we can truly focus and pursue the kingdom of God. As we do, we will engage in that scary action of letting go of all of the stuff that we're pursuing outside of him. It's hard. God, what if I'm obedient? What's it going to cost me? God, what if I'm really generous? <laughs> what happens if I'm really generous? Am I going to be able to afford what I need? God, what happens if I'm really obedient to the call you've put on my life? What might happen to my career? God, what if I'm obedient to you and how I handle dating and end up alone? All of these places that can consume our hearts with worry cloud us from the displays of the goodness of God that we experience on a daily basis. And so when we go to the Lord in prayer, we can go to him with a security of knowing that not only does he want to meet our needs, but he will. He will meet our needs. We don't know how, we don't know when, but he will meet our needs. We can trust him to do that. We also can go to him knowing that when we ask him to meet our needs, he's gonna to continue to call us into the place where our greatest need is met. And that is the kingdom of God. And we find that through our faith in Jesus Christ, through how we worship him and, and how we love the people around us and how we engage in generosity and how we engage in ministry and how we engage in worship and, and spending time in his word and drawing close to him. As we engage our faith, we begin to see that we don't have to worry about our physical needs because those have a way of working themselves out. But we do find our hearts freed up to truly pursue the kingdom of God and truly focus on his goodness and his worth and what it means for us as his children to really seek the kingdom. And so even in how God displays his goodness in meeting our needs, he's constantly 
refining and redirecting our desires. He's helping us redefine what our needs truly are, and he's showing us how he meets them in ways that go beyond what we can expect. And so as we pray this week, listen, we don't need to go to God feeling guilt when we ask for what we need. We don't even need to go to God with guilt for asking for what we want. God wants us to go to him. He wants to provide for us. He wants to give us the things that we need. He's built creation to do it. Surely that tells us something about his character. And the good news is as we do that, he's gonna continue to call us into the places where our needs are met more effectively than anywhere else. And that's in his person and in his kingdom. And so let's ask God for things this week. Let's trust that he will be a God that provides for what we need. And let's seek his kingdom and watch what he does. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word and that you are a God who wants to give us what we need. God, as we live in this place that reflects your goodness and desire for our provision, we pray that we would experience how you provide. God, that you would show us the ways that you love us and give us what we need. Help us to quiet our worries. Um, help us to disentangle ourselves from the idols that can consume us and help us to orient our lives around the pursuit of your kingdom so we can experience your provision and your goodness beyond anything the world has to offer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.